0: Hello, this is uh, Dr. pen Xian Qian, the Editor-in-Chief of Heart Rhythm. The first article of the March 2023 issue is titled Effects of Pulsed Field Ablation on the Autonomic Nervous System in Paroxysmal Atrial Fibrillation, a Pilot Study. Acute electrical isolation was achieved in 100% of pulmonary veins in 18 patients. Serine nerve injury in biomarkers did not show any changes pre ablation and immediately post ablation and 24 hours after ablation. Pre ablation and 30 day post ablation heart rate variability did not differ. Post ablation diffusion weighted imaging revealed no acute cerebral microembolus events. Moreover, there were no other procedure related complications the eight-month kaplan meyer estimate of freedom from arrhythmia was 83 plus minus 9%. The authors conclude that PFA does not induce nerve injury during pulmonary vein isolation for paroxysmal AF. The next paper is ultra-microbiological study of non-thermal irreversible electroporation on the esophagus. The parameter combination of 2,000 volt per centimeter multiplied by 90 pulse output was directly applied to the esophagus in 60 New Zealand rabbits. The procedure predominantly triggered apoptosis of esophageal cells shortly after electroporation. Since the tissue structural framework was preserved, esophageal cells could regenerate through self-replication within four weeks. A complete anatomical repair can eventually be achieved through structural remodeling, and no lumen stenosis, ulcer, or fistula was observed in the ablated segment. The authors conclude the monophasic, bipolar, non-thermal irreversible electroporation pulses delivered using plate electrodes in an esophageal model demonstrate no irisible, irreversible ultra-micro ultramicropathological changes to the esophagus after four weeks. Up next is electrocardiographic P-terminal force in lead V1, its components, and the association with stroke and atrial fibrillation or flutter. The ECG marker P-terminal force V1 or PTF V one greater or equal to 4 millivolt times millisecond was considered abnormal. Patients with uh, abnormal PTFV1 were stratified into tertiles based on duration and amplitude values. Of 267,000 patients, uh, 5,803 had atrial fibrillation and 18,000 had stroke and the TIA during follow up. Averaged six point five years, abnormal PTFV one was present in forty four thousand patients, or sixteen point seven percent, and was associated with an increased risk of atrial fibrillation and stroke, TIA. The authors conclude that abnormal PTFV one was associated with an increased risk of atrial fibrillation and stroke and TIA, increasing P terminal force V one duration showed a dose-response relationship with the development of atrial fibrillation and the stroke and the TIA. Coming up is increased risk of incident atrial fibrillation in young adults with mental disorders, a nationwide population-based study. The authors identified adults aged 20 to 39 years without a history of atrial fibrillation and who have been diagnosed with mental disorders using the Korean National Health Insurance Database between 2009 and 2012. A total of 6,576,000 subjects were included. Among the total population, 10% had mental disorders. During the follow-up period, 8,932 incident atrial fibrillation events occurred patients with mental disorders showed a higher AF incidence than did those without. The authors conclude that young adults diagnosed with mental disorders have a higher risk of instant atrial fibrillation. That article is followed by one titled Epicardial Ablation of Refractory Focal Atrial Tachycardia After a Failed Endocardial Approach. Among 186 consecutive patients undergoing ablation of for 198 focal atrial tachycardias epicardial mapping and ablation via a percutaneous subxiphoid approach were attempted in 10 patients because of a failed endocardial ablation all fast atrial tachycardias were successfully eliminated by ablation at the epicardial earliest activation site The authors conclude that epicardial mapping and ablation can be considered as an effective and safe option for fast atrial tachycardia resistant to endocardial ablation. The next one is the association of interventricular activation delay with clinical outcomes in cardiac resynchronization therapy. The purpose of this study was to assess the association between interventricular delay and the clinical outcomes in CRT patients implanted with quadripolar left ventricular leads. A total of 581 patients had complete RV-LV delay data. Predictors of a long RV-LV delay included female sex. Left bundle branch block and a QRS duration of greater than 150 milliseconds. Survival free of the primary outcome at 18 months follow up was 87% in the long activation delay group compared with 77% in the short delay group. The authors conclude that among CRT patients with quadripolar LV pacing leads, longer baseline interventricular activation delay was significantly associated with the composite endpoint of all-cause mortality and heart failure hospitalization. Coming up is outcomes of leadless pacemaker implantation following transvenous lead extraction in high-volume referral centers, real-world data from a large international registry. Of the 1,179 patients enrolled, 15.6% underwent a previous transvenous lead extraction. During a median follow-up of 33 months, pacemaker-related major complications and all-cause mortality did not differ between the extraction groups and the de novo implantation group. Pacing threshold was higher in the transvenous lead extraction group at implantation and during follow-up, with very high pacing threshold patients being more represented than in the de novo implantation group. The authors conclude that leadless pacemakers showed a satisfactory safety and efficacy profile after transvenous lead extraction. Better electrical parameters were obtained when leadless pacemaker were implanted at a different RV location than the one where the previous transvenous RV lead was extracted. The next paper is a comparison of data quality and the monitoring completion rates between clinic and self-applied ECG patches. Since the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic, the use of direct-to-patient self-applied ECG patch has substantially increased. Among the 29,000 ECG patch prescriptions, The COVID self-applied group had a lower return rate than did clinic-applied group. The COVID self-applied group demonstrated a lower mean percentage to analyzable time than did clinic-applied groups. The authors conclude that self-applied ECG patches were returned at a lower rate and had a statistically lower percentage of analyzable time than clinic-applied patches. However, there were no differences in wear time and in analyzable time between groups. Up next is a panel of blood biomarkers unique to sudden cardiac arrest. The purpose of this study was to identify biomarkers of sudden cardiac arrest obtained close to the sudden cardiac arrest event. Twenty cases, survivor of sudden cardiac arrest, and 40 agent 6 matched controls were compared with a replication analysis of 29 cases matched to 57 controls. Patients had a mean age of 58 years. A total of 20 biomarkers differentiated sudden cardiac arrest from coronary artery disease. The top identified biological processes involved the extracellular matrix, coagulation cascades, and platelet activation. The authors identified a panel of novel biomarkers specifically associated with sudden cardiac arrest. These biomarkers could have mechanistic significance and potentially enhance the clinical prediction of sudden cardiac arrest. Coming up is timing of ICD implantation in patients with cardiac laminopathies, external validation of LMNA risk ventricular tachyarrhythmia calculator, The authors included 118 patients with non-missense LMNA variants. 23 patients or 19% experienced uh, ventricular tachyarrhythmia during 6.1 years of follow-up. AV block and the reduced left ventricular ejection fraction were independent predictors of ventricular tachyarrhythmias, while non-sustained VT, male sex, and non-missense LMNA variants were not. The LMNA risk ventricular tachyarrhythmia calculator showed 83% sensitivity and 26% specificity for identifying patients with ventricular tachyarrhythmias during the coming five years. The calculator overestimated arrhythmia risk in patients with mild and moderate phenotype, particularly in men. The authors conclude that validation of the LMNA-RISK ventricular tachyarrhythmia calculator showed a high sensitivity for subsequent ventricular tachyarrhythmias. Frequent reevaluation of risk was necessary to maintain the sensitivity of the model. Up next is high-resolution mapping of reentrant atrial tachycardias relevance of low bipolar voltage. The purpose of this study was to evaluate the diagnostic performance of voltage thresholds for identifying regions of slow conduction during re- reentrant atrial tachyarrhythmias. 30 bipolar voltage and activation maps created during reentrant ATs were analyzed. They found that voltage and conduction velocity were moderately correlated. Bipolar voltage predicts regions of a slow conduction within an area under the receiver operating characteristic curve of 0.733. A threshold of 0.5 millivolt had 91% sensitivity and 35% specificity for identifying uh, slow conduction. The authors conclude that the widely used bipolar voltage amplitude thresholds to define abnormal and scar tissue in atria are respectively sensitive and specific for identifying regions to slow conduction during reentrant ATs. However, overall, the association of voltage and conduction velocity is modest. No clinical predictors of AT circuit dimensions were identified. The next one is alert-driven versus scheduled remote monitoring of implantable cardiac defibrillators, a cost-consequence analysis from the TRUST trial. The authors constructed a decision-analytic Markov model to estimate the costs and benefits of three strategies over a two-year time horizon from the perspective of the U.S. Medicare uh, payer. Mean cumulative follow-up costs per patient were 12,688 in the in-person evaluation group, 12,001 in the remote patient monitoring uh, conventional group, and 11,011 in the remote patient monitoring alert group. The authors conclude that alert-driven remote patient monitoring was economically attractive, and if uh, patient outcomes and safety are comparable to those of uh, conventional RPM, may be the preferred strategy for ICD follow-up. The next article is a contemporary review titled, Pharmacological Prevention of Recurrent Vasovagal Syncope, a Systematic Review and Network Meta-Analysis of Randomized Controlled Trials. The authors conclude that the middle drain was the only agent shown to uh, to reduce spontaneous syncope events. Fluoxetine also seems beneficial, but should be studied further in randomized clinical trials. This network meta-analysis did not find evidence of the efficacy of any other medication. The, that review is followed by a creative concept paper titled "Wavetail Mapping to Guide Ablation Therapy for Ventricular Arrhythmias. The authors propose that ventricular repolarization assessment by mapping has a major potential adjunct role in determining critical and vulnerable VT sites and provides the uh, impetus to develop wavetail mapping. The issue of the journal also has two research letters. The first is titled Alert Notifications During Automatic Wireless Remote Monitoring of ICDs, Load Characteristics and Clinical Utility. The authors present an alert suite that generates minimal volume, but with high clinical actionability while preserving patient safety. This guidance to device clinics is especially important when remote management is applied for alert-based follow-up. The second one is titled Feasibility of Unshielded Portable Magnetocardiography, Insights from the Magneto SCD trial. The authors report that unshielded magnetocardiography is feasible in real-world hospital settings. These findings provide a breakthrough in the widespread implementation of magnetocardiography in clinical practice. We have an in-memoriam for Dr. Frank Marcus, a pioneer in cardiac electrophysiology. His many contributions to the field of cardiac EP will forever be remembered. I hope you enjoy this podcast. For Heart Rhythm, I'm the Editor-in-Chief, Dr. Pengxian Chen.